0: Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Grzbowski, and this is a Blind Entrepreneurship bonus episode brought to you by Penji, a podcast that helps entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision to profitability. On today's episode is another masterclass series from Penji, directly on our Facebook Live. Make sure you go and head over to our Facebook and like us, which is www.facebook.com forward slash dot Penji, that's D-O-T-P-E-N-J-I. We record every Tuesday at 10 a.m. EST, last about 30, 45 minutes or so. And on today's episode in particular, we talk about startup do's and don'ts, the startup funding do's and don'ts. And we talk to two professionals that are pioneers in the world of entrepreneurship and business in in startup, startup in the startup ecosystem, excuse me, within the Philadelphia region. And uh, we have David Bookspan and Ellen Weber and we'll go into their bios and their backstories very briefly uh, once you're able to listen to the Facebook Live. But some of the highlights of this episode for me when, is when we talk about company culture um, and what is the, that one thing, so to speak, that we all need in order to look at. And when it comes to building culture, and what we realize is that um, it's, it's not all that, that much. There's no secret recipe and, and I think at the end of the day that the underlying theme that I've heard is to be human um, We also talk about uh, Growing companies. We talk about what you need to look for uh, when you're growing your business uh, numbers driven whether it needs to be um, Understanding your story. Uh, I think David and Ellen do an amazing job being able to explain this And I hope that you get a lot of value of uh, out of this as much as I did Um So let's just get right to today's episode. It's about maybe 30, 35 minutes or so. Um, So make sure you take notes because I think there's a lot of great things that have been said. So enjoy today's episode. Everybody, welcome to another edition and live webinar and Penji Masterclass series. Uh, This is a webinar series that's going to be talking about the startup uh, funding, the do's and the don'ts. My name is Jonathan Grzbowski. I'm one of the co-founders here at Penji. And the moderator, don't know if I'm the most qualified for this position because uh, the caliber of talent that we have today on the panel. But today I'm joined with Ellen Weber. She's, a, she's passionate about innovation and helping build great companies in the Philadelphia region. She's the executive director of Temple uh, University's Fox School of Business Innovation and Entrepreneurship Institute and an assistant professor of entrepreneurship. She's part of Mid-Atlantic Diamond Ventures and the executive director of Robinhood Ventures, a leading angel group helping to fuel startup growth in the greater Philadelphia region. We also have David Booksman. He is a serial entrepreneur. He's founded Monetate, MarketSpan, past president of Robinhood Ventures. He's a recovering lawyer, which I like the phrasing of that, uh, founder of Dream Adventures and current founder and executive chairman at Amino Payments, which is a payments company that combines technologies from blockchain, payments, and advertising to bring transparency to online advertising. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. So before we get into all the heavy-hitting stuff, I would always like to start in a more fun fashion, a little bit of an icebreaker. So if you could, tell us your definition and your reason uh, as to why you are here today. And David, I'd like to just start with you, if that's okay. Sure. Um, well,
1: professionally, I practiced law for way too many years and um, got the startup bug uh, by a need that I had in my law practice that was unfulfilled by any services. Um, left my law firm, which was Wolf Lock, Shore and Salas Cohen, of blessed memory, and um, started my first company, MarketSpan. And ever since then, just really have a strong need to build things so i love building companies i think i'm pretty good from taking companies from um, an idea up through um, a a significant stage of growth Um, and it's what i love it's what i do
0: very cool ellen how about yourself
2: well the reason why i'm here on this uh on this uh webinar is that um, I work with a tremendous number of entrepreneurs. And um, I think there's so much mystery and um, bad information about um, funding. And so any opportunity I can have to reach um, you know, different entrepreneurs to help them understand the do's and the don'ts and you know the whys and all that kind of stuff, um, the better. So I'm always happy. It's Uh, I'm always happy to talk about this topic. And I haven't seen David in a long time, so this is a great way to get together with David.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna get right to it. And I'm gonna ask you, Ellen, the first question. And a very broad question, you can answer however you see fit. Uh, But the question is, do all startups need funding?
2: So I always encourage companies to bootstrap for as long as they can. Um, the longer they bootstrap, the better chance they have of, um, you know, answering a lot of the key questions of getting to a minimal viable product, of improving their value and imp- actually improving their negotiating position when they do need to fund. And it's a general balance because, um, and, and some companies never need, um, you know, never need funding. But for those that do, you still want to bootstrap as long as you can, but not so not so long that you miss a window of opportunity to really scale so it's a it's an art not a science it's a very gentle balance
0: and how about yourself david you've uh, been in multiple companies founder chairman etc um where you've been able to receive funding and even on a board of a uh, of dream adventures uh, what are your overall thoughts on the startup world and the in my opinion the, i guess the constant need of funding
1: it really depends upon the business. There are certain businesses that absolutely need funding from the start um, in order to achieve the vision and mission of the company. There are others that don't. Um, I prefer those that don't quite candidly. MarketSpan was completely self-funded and funded on revenues and um, uh, it eliminates a lot of distractions in terms of um, having to, to uh, continually update investors it uh, makes things much simpler at the board level. Um, it allows you to focus purely on the mission of the company rather than a venture funds need for a return within a specific timeframe. Um, so if you can avoid taking outside money, I think that's the best way to, to um, to fund the companies through revenues. Yeah, there are lots of companies, though. So, uh, MarketSpan was completely self-funded. Monetate and Amino you know, Payments are venture-funded. Um, Dream Adventures is a uh, venture firm that you know I've sat on that other side of the table as well. Um, but it really depends. You have to you have to figure out where is your sweet spot, mm-hmm. and what is the opportunity, and how much money do you need. to to exploit that opportunity.
0: And David, you've been again on both sides, all all sides of the table from what it seems like. And I I love, I wanna hear a little bit more about culture. And now I'm gonna ask you a very similar question as well. Mm I have a strong feeling that, uh, David, that there's possibly a different culture that's within a VC-backed company versus a bootstrap company. Can you tell us maybe a possible differences between a company like MarketSpan, where you grew it from zero to whatever, and then companies like Monotate and Amino Payments, where they they do have the VC-backed funding?
1: Yeah, I don't think there is a difference in culture. You're building a great company. Um, And I think in terms of building a great company – whether it's self-funded or venture-funded, you're always looking to what is the ultimate goal of the company. And I have a personal bias that, regardless of source of funding, you should be pointing the company at going public. You should be pointing the company at a specific exit or a specific time for exit. those things are the likely scenarios. The exits along the way to going public are the lo- more likely outcomes. But um, you need to focus, I think, on um, what is the opportunity that you are exploiting? What is the, the, the natural state for your company? Yeah. Um, and culturally, that means you want the best players you can have on the field at the specific time. And uh, you also have to recognize that the the players for today are not necessarily the best players for the mission of the company tomorrow Mm -hmm. and all that way. But what you want to build is a culture where everybody, and it starts from the top down, where everybody is on a shared mission, shared work ethic, and um, not gonna be stopped.
0: Yeah, Ellen, how about yourself? Do you want to add on to that, to what David said?
2: I guess I would only add that, um, you know, I've seen companies change culture when venture capital comes in and not always to the best effect so that everyone, um, I'm trying to think how to describe it. Um, you know, I I, th- I think you need to stay core to the culture that, um, you know, that, that, you know, there's certain DNA in every company. Mm. And so you need to, you need to, um, you know, that's the thing that really shouldn't change. And sometimes um, when funding comes in, um, I mean, there's a lot of really good scaling activities that can occur. But sometimes the actual culture and how people interact and operate can um, change. And that's that's not always for the good. So I think that's one of the things that a really uh, good founder or CEO needs to pay attention to.
0: Yeah. keep ahead,
2: I, I guess another thing is um, less so than you know, say 10 years ago, but it used to be 10 years ago when funding came in, the original CEO is replaced and the and new people would be brought in. That I'm seeing, David, I'm seeing that less. Are you seeing that less these um, days?
1: Again, I, I think it's a, Depends. A, a company by company basis. Mm-hmm. You have certain CEOs, and, you know, the founder is usually the CEO of the company when, it, mm-hmm. when it's starting. And there are certain founders who, can take the company from startup to Facebook, like Mark Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. But I think that those are the anomalies. Um, I don't think that the the necessary factor, though, is venture coming in. Venture is usually investing in the existing team. Right. So they're not looking to change CEOs. They're investing in the CEO. Right.
0: That actually brings me up to a really uh, a really good point, Alan. When you're uh, talking to these companies, uh, whether it within the angel round, uh, so to speak, um, do you see character traits, or do you see specific things that kind of? Um, I guess you're a little bit more um, understanding and aggressive to talk to those particular startups that have X, whatever that X is. Do you see like uh, commonalities and character traits between like successful startups versus those who may not be able to obtain funding?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, so um, you know, people always talk about um, you know, team and then the market and then the product when we're looking to invest. And so, um, you know, the the you know, the right team and particularly the CEO is one of the things that we really look at. And so we're looking at someone who really deeply understands their domain. We're looking at someone who's um, open to new information and knows how to use that information, who understands financials, who understands what their strengths and weaknesses are and can fill in the gaps with other people on the team. Um, so that's, you know, th- you know, that, that's from a team perspective. Um, I mean, we've not invested in some companies because it was clear that the uh, the team was not adaptive or flexible or coachable. Um, hmm. And then, you know, in terms of market, you know, are they looking at a market that's, um, y- you know, unique, definable, uh, large enough um, to, you know, to su- you know, to support growth and and scalability, and the product's actually, you know, the least of the things that we look at because the product is the thing that tends to change, the most. Um, you know, it's it's always it, it's always being adapted and changed and pivoted based on new information from the market. So as long as it, as long as the um, team really understands the the market and what their goals are, then they can always change the product, um, you know, features and functions to to match, you know, with, where the where the market's going.
0: Well, that is actually a perfect segue to a question that uh, that I would like to ask, which is again the market. And David, in the world of blockchain, it is constantly changing. Uh, There's always new information that is being uh, discussed. And so from you starting these businesses, what is your process like when it comes to further understanding and further defining the market?
1: Um, I've been blessed in that um, with the exception of Marketspan, which was my idea that um, the other companies that I have co-founded have been companies where a domain expert has um, asked me to help them get it started. Mm. And uh, I try and immerse myself in understanding what the business is, it, when when, it, assuming it it uh, grabs my interest. So I just study the market and see if I think that, uh, that there is the opportunity there to, to build something pretty spectacular. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's not, you're right. It's Most of the businesses, I think, technology plays as pure tech plays are a mistake. You end up with technologies in search of a problem. Um, I think you really have to focus on the problem and mm-hmm. the technology has to serve that solution rather than the other way around.
0: That's great that's a great answer. Um, I know that you posted um, I guess a, a year or so ago now uh, an article on your on Twitter about uh, pitches and it's kind of just like the I guess it kind of goes into details of like how to pitch and how to pitch well and and so I'd like to be able to hear from your perspective on the dream adventure side um, when you're listening to somebody talk to you about their business. what are some key things that you're looking for when it comes to um, hearing a pitch and making sure that it's viable. And Alan, I'm gonna ask you the same exact question. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, um, first and foremost is domain expertise. And second is, well, it's not necessarily, these are co-equal, passion about the problem and the solution. Mm -hmm. So you've gotta know what you're talking about and you have to be able to answer any question um, very clearly and crisply and if there's a question you don't know the answer to, you can't bullshit. You have to say, you know, hadn't thought about that. Let me let me take a look at it. Mm, okay. um, but any significant question about the the business, you better have thought of it and mm. have thought through how you're going to address those issues.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. So my you know, my response would be almost word for word, what David just said, you know, it, it is, it's, it's passion, it's domain expertise, it's being able to answer questions. If you were to dive down a level, uh, beyond that, I would say you have to be able to describe the problem that you're solving and the market opportunity in a way that you allow the investor to dream alongside you. You need to have a story. Um, and I don't mean, a you know, um, uh, I don't necessarily mean a story like, you know, here's Charlie. Charlie has this problem. I mean a story where the, you know, the problem. The st- I'm talking
1: about the sales side. Um, obviously, lots of data on the tech side from the, from the start that, you know, you have to be analyzing a, a lot of different performance data and stuff like that to make sure that the tech is sound. But I'm just talking on the market side of things right now yeah so data is critical as the company grows, and then there's different levels of sophistication that you deal with that data as the company scales yeah. so it's different data is data itself and different data is important at different stages of the company
0: yeah that's good i I want to talk about growth quickly because let's face it as Anybody that is listening right now, they are struggling in some capacity when it comes to growing the business and when it comes to sales. And Ellen, you've been a part of a lot of great, I'm sure, transactions and worked with a lot of great teams and seen a lot of companies grow. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to hear from your perspective, what are some things that you've seen that Um, Maybe some interesting marketing tactics or maybe some, um, you know, just foundational sales strategies. Have you seen any uh, companies and strategies that have worked really well for those startups that you've worked with? And how can we apply those strategies uh, today to the people that are listening uh, on both the podcast and on Facebook?
2: Um, so I'm not the sales um, right. expert in the group um, but you know I think just I, I think there's a common theme that David and I are saying which is every startup has stages and every startup has its you know its own set of variables that are important to them so there is not one sales strategy that works um, you know that works across um, all all startups um, I, I would Reiterate what David said about, you know, initial sales or founder sales. That's what we see. And so you need to, over time, build up enough infrastructure to, um, you know, be able to go past the, the you know, the founders, you know, the, the found, especially in the B2B world, to go beyond the founder's um, um, you know, list list of you know uh, list of contacts, um, but I, I think it's very individualized. I'm gonna tu- I'm actually going to turn this question over to David. He's got much more sales experience than I do. <laughs>
1: um, I don't think I really have anything more more to add on that. Okay. Um, you know, the, there's lots of things on scaling and how you scale a sales team and put their. Hundreds of books written on that, and that's would be the subject for a um a a very bad (laughs) mini-series.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it can be stressful for sure. Um the, the two of you have have solidified yourself as um professionals, experts within the Philadelphia region, and I'd say pioneers in the world of entrepreneurship, the two of you. And it's an absolute honor to have you both on the show to share your expertise but Philadelphia is a common theme that we all have and uh we we call this place home uh we call this place uh where we work and so i'd like to hear from your perspective do you guys believe that Philadelphia is a great place to grow uh, uh grow your business and i uh, I'll take whoever whoever wants to go first with that one
1: yeah obviously i do um, I've built all of my companies that I've been involved with have all been Philly based companies. Um, there, you do have to be nimble. So for example, the, the customers, most of the customers for Amino are um, in the advertising world and the center of the advertising world is New York. So mm-hmm. we're in New York several times a week. Um, we have an office in New York our, our sales offices in New York. Um, but We've also successfully recruited engineers from New York, spectacular engineers from New York. And uh, my co-founder, Will uh, Luttrell, Will um, has a great recruiting uh, device, which is he takes people to see his house in Northern Liberties mm-hmm. who, who are from New York. And you know it's a very nice house for the price of a one bedroom apartment in New York.
2: Yeah, I, I call that the Philadelphia exchange rate. Yeah, and um, it you know it I, I used to actually do recruiting for startups um you know uh, years ago and I was able to bring Silicon Valley people here. Um, mm. we had we showed them the school systems and showed them houses and you know that, that's that's uh, that's all it took. Um, in terms of um Philadelphia as a region for startups, you know I've just been so. Excited and delighted to see the growth in the Philadelphia ecosystem, um, and I think some of those changes started, you know, when um, Philly startup leaders got started, when Philly tech, you know, when uh, technically Philly got started. Um, there are so many organizations now. And, and that's been wonderful. And, and there's a group for everybody to, to, you know, everyone's got different needs. There's a group for everyone to find support. One of the things that's always troubled me about the Philadelphia ecosystem was the lack of density. Um, and I'm actually, you know, we're actually seeing, um, you know, I, I, we're seeing that improve um, as well, you know, with, uh, with everything that's going on in, in West Philadelphia, um, with the growth of you know Third Street, with Comcast in the middle, kind of bridging the gap, and and Lyft Labs, it, I think um, you know I think that's been I think that's been terrific. Ten years ago, there were no investors, for example, in Center City Philadelphia, and then you know Robinhood moved into Philadelphia, First Round moved into Philadelphia, Dream It was in Philadelphia. You know you started to see these you know so that entrepreneurs could. Uh, you know, so there, it, that allowed a lot more uh, cross fertilization between the between the groups. Um, so I'm I'm uh, I'm um, I'm I'm very excited and uh, bullish. I think there's still some, you know, tax and and um, you know, business issues that need to be res- resolved in this region. But um, I, you know, I, I think the ecosystem's strong and getting stronger.
0: I think it's a really cool uh, idea to bring somebody from New York who probably lives in like a 200 square foot home and to be able to see probably the same exact pricing, if not uh, a little bit less, and to be able to see an actual home. That is a really, really good idea. Uh, so appreciate that that small nugget right there. Mm-hmm. And a- Alan, as, a, as an academic yourself, mm-hmm. there has to be a tangible thing that we can learn from, whether it's a book or a presentation or maybe just a good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anything come to mind when uh, when I ask that? And how can uh, and whatever that thing is, can you tell us what it is and or things um, and 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 how we could apply that whatever that is to our businesses today?
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, there are certainly. A tremendous number of good books out there. And so off the top of my head, you know, um, Brad, Brad Feld has a book called How to Be um, as Smart as Your Lawyer or Your VC. And for anyone who's raising money, you need to read that he brilliantly goes through. Uh, it's a little long, the book's a little long in the tooth now, I think they, they need to keep updating it. But they kind of go through clause by clause. Um, the The items in deal terms that VCs, Um, you know, that VCs put in, and they'll say things like, you know, if your VC is arguing about this, run, because that's not important, or um, this may sound really punitive, but that's, that's standard, so, you know, just, you know, that's the way it is, so I find that book to be really, um, you know, really excellent, you know, books on lean startup, I think everyone is reading, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think what some of my personal other favorites are. But I, I really like Brett for someone who's about to go out and raise funding. I think reading Brad Feld's book is the. you still need to hire an excellent deal attorney, but you can save yourself a lot of money and mistakes by reading up and getting knowledgeable before you meet with that attorney. Hmm.
0: David, how about yourself? Is there anything that that you've read in the past or are currently reading or watched? that um, really helped you be able to mold who you are today?
1: Yeah, there are are lots and lots of books, Um, but I want to riff for a moment on the point that Ellen made because Brad's book, Both Venture Deals and How to Be as Smart as the VC are are really, I think, required reading. But even then, the founder is at a huge disadvantage. And negotiating the deal. Hmm. So this is what VCs do all day every day. As a founder, you may do this once, twice, maybe maybe three or four times during the course of a single company. Um, the what you hear all the time is, well, we're just going to use the standard documents and this plain vanilla and there's nothing, you know, the, the VCs will say there's nothing unusual in the documents. Well, those documents were developed by the NVCA, the National Venture Capital Association. Mm -hmm. They weren't developed by the National Founders Association. And there are lots of ways that those documents protect the the venture capitalists at the cost of the founders. And in many instances, that's just fine, uh, because that's the deal you're making when you're taking money. In other instances, I think it is profoundly unfair. And if you do not um, really understand the documents or work with somebody who really understands the documents and what they mean, there are serious repercussions that you had never never seen coming uh, down the line for you. And even the best deal lawyers, the best um, the best founder side of uh, uh, financing lawyers, I think are still biased by the quote standard forms, mm-hmm. the NBCA forms. So there are lots of things that um, I could go into that I think are fundamentally unfair and how you structure the deal is really important. I'm sorry, I'm on a bit of a soapbox here. <laughs> no, it's,
0: it's, it's, it's totally uh, totally okay. I mean, these are the things that we need to know or at least be made aware of. And it's up to the people listening to be able to do their own due diligence themselves to be able to apply that. Um, I, I don't want to waste too much of your time because I know you are all very, very busy individuals. So I want to just wrap up the conversation, if that's okay, um, by just asking one final question. And the question is, if... You can give yourself advice or if you can, excuse me, if you can give somebody that is listening advice, that's currently growing their business, that is trying to scale, um, they may need funding, they may not need funding. What would that advice be that you'd give to that individual? And if it's okay, David, I'd like to put you on the spot first. Um, If you could just uh, answer that question and then Ellen, I'm gonna ask you the same exact thing.
1: The most important thing I think in the company is is the talent. So make sure that every person you have is the best person for that role at that time in the company
2: mm-hmm. Ellen, how about yourself? You know, I, I would say um, again for the first you know for the first time entrepreneur um, in addition to the talent that you have within the group, I think having advisors and mentors that you can trust who've been through this before, um, can be tremendously helpful and can help you navigate. You know some of these. Uh, you know. N- you know these these new scenarios that that you haven't been through before. But I also caution entrepreneurs to be very careful of who they select as mentors. Not all mentors are created equal. And I also I, I see. I see this happen all the time. It's uh, I call it mentor confusion. Um, if you have too many mentors, um, and they will all give you different advice because they will, um, you still have to, you know, have your, you stay true to your core and be able to listen to what mentors are telling you, but then make your own decisions and. Don't have too many mentors because I'll see I, I will see some entrepreneurs kind of ping from one thing to the next based on which mentor they spoke to, you know, most recently. So I think I think the use of mentors judiciously is a really good thing to have to help you navigate those waters.
0: Very cool. Well, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for, for joining us, uh, all the people that are currently listening and watching us. Uh, a huge uh, shout out and thank you goes to to you all. Thank you again for watching and listening i'd like to give the final 30 seconds or so uh to each of you to share a little bit more about how people can contact you if need be uh, and how can people can follow your journey on the businesses that you're creating uh and the uh the businesses that you're funding and ellen if you can just uh, give us a start share us a little bit more about where people can find you
2: okay well i'm here at temple uh 24 7 just about um <laughs> and so um and I go to most of the events and, you know, I go to most of the entrepreneurial events in the region. So the best way to, 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 to find me is to go to some of those events. Um, and, um, but I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. And, um, you know, my email is eweber at RobinhoodVentures.com. David. And, I
0: could, and I could have a testimony on that one. I do see you at a lot of events. So she is true to her word for that. <laughs> David, how about yourself? Well, I
1: am much less um, visible at, at events these days. I'm heads down on Amino, and that's really taking um, all of all of my time. Um, you can find me at Amino Payments on our website, um, uh, and there are certain events like the Philly Tech, Tech BBQ that's going to be in September. Um, best way to, to handle that since there are tons of people there is that if you if you want to connect with me um, say that you're going to be there and ahead of time um, and we'll figure out how, how to get together but uh, unfortunately my time has gotten much more focused uh, since since starting Amina.
0: Well, it's an absolute honor to have you. And thank you again, both of you, for your time. It it truly means a lot to help the startup ecosystem and community. Um, To those that are still watching, um, I'd like you guys to go out there and execute your vision. Have a great rest of your day.
2: Take care. Thanks, Thanks, Jonathan.
0: Cool. We are done, guys. Uh, Thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. it will be live. It's already live now. I'll let you know once uh, everything is uh, on the um, uh, podcast format as well. Um, I didn't. I wasn't able to explain a little bit about what we do, so if I could just have 30 more seconds uh, just to educate you and tell you a little bit more about who I am. Um, you already know my name. My name is Jonathan, but I'm a co-founder of, of a company called Penji, and um, we've never received funding. We're bootstrapped from zero zero to now over a 1,000 brands that we've worked with, and we have over 50 employees. We're located right over the bridge in Camden, New Jersey. And uh, Penji, what we do is we do on-demand graphic design at a flat monthly rate. So businesses hire us to do graphic design. We act as like their Swiss army knife of all things design. So the people who are actually uh, doing the marketing can go back to their roles. um, And then we take the design off of their plate. And we work with startups, agencies, and also um, internal marketing teams. Um, we've been doing it for I've been a serial entrepreneur for about seven years now, and I've only had one other job uh, outside of uh, startups. So I've really had to learn um, by falling on my ass multiple times, um, but also uh, readings and teachings and words from people like yourself. So. Your words uh, go such a long way and I couldn't be more thankful and appreciative of, of your time today. So thank you.
2: All right, take thank care. You we'll see you at the barbecue. All
0: right, see you later. Have take a good one, guys. Bye. Bye
2: now. Live here. It's going to be connecting
0: soon. <clears throat> Says that we're live. And I just want to make sure that we are so, so we can make sure that we're getting the best possible experience on the planet. And we are live. So, everybody, welcome to another edition and live webinar and Penji Masterclass series. Uh, This is a webinar series that's going to be talking about the startup uh, funding, the do's and the don'ts. My name is Jonathan Grzbowski. I'm one of the co founders here at Penji. And the moderator. Don't know if I'm the most qualified for this position because of the caliber of talent that we have today on the panel. But today I'm joined with Ellen Weber. She's she's passionate about innovation and helping build great companies in the Philadelphia region. She's the executive director of Temple uh, University's Fox School of Business Innovation and Entrepreneurship Institute and an assistant professor of entrepreneurship. She's part of Mid Atlantic Diamond Ventures and the executive director of Robin Hood Ventures, a leading angel group helping to fuel startup growth in the greater Philadelphia region. We also have David Booksman. He is a serial entrepreneur. He's founded Monetate, MarketSpan, past president of Robin Hood Ventures. He's a recovering lawyer, which I like the phrasing of that, uh, founder of Dream Adventures, and current founder and executive chairman at Amino Payments, which is a payments company that combines technologies from blockchain payments and advertising to bring transparency to online advertising. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. So before we get into all the heavy hitting stuff, I would always like to start in a more fun fashion, a little bit of an icebreaker. So if you could tell us your definition and your reason uh, as to why you are here today. And David, I'd like to just start with you if that's okay. Sure. well, professionally,
1: I practiced law for way too many years and um, got the startup bug uh, by a need that I had in my law practice that was unfulfilled by any services. Um, left my law firm, which was Wolf, Blockshore Shore, and Salas Cohen of blessed memory, and um, started my first company, MarketSpan. And ever since then, just really have a strong need to build things. So I love building companies. I think I'm pretty good from taking companies from a, um, an idea up through um, a, a significant stage of growth. Um, and I, it, it's what I love. It's what I do. Love so,
0: yeah. it. Very cool. Ellen, how about yourself?
2: Well, the reason why I'm here on this, uh, on this, uh, webinar is that, um, I work with a tremendous number of entrepreneurs and, um, I think there's so much mystery and, um, bad information about, um, funding. And so any opportunity I can have to reach, um, you know, different entrepreneurs to help them understand the do's and the don'ts and know the whys and all that kind of stuff, um, the better. So I'm always happy. It's, Uh, I'm always happy to talk about this topic. And I haven't seen David in a long time, so this is a great way to get together with David.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to get right to it. And I'm going to ask you, Ellen, the first question. And a very broad question. You can answer however you see fit. Uh, But the question is, do all startups need funding?
2: So I always encourage companies to bootstrap for as long as they can. Um, The longer they bootstrap, the better chance they have of, um, you know, answering a lot of the key questions of getting to a minimal viable product, of improving their value and actually improving their negotiating position when they do need to fund. And it's a general balance because, um, and and some companies never need, um, you know, never need funding. But for those that do, you still want to bootstrap as long as you can, but not so not so long that you miss a window of opportunity to really scale. So it's, a, it's an art, not a science. It's a very gentle balance.
0: How about yourself, David? You've uh, been in multiple companies, founder, chairman, etc., cetera, um, where you've been able to receive funding and even on a board of, a, uh, of Dream Adventures. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on the startup world and, the, in my opinion, the, I guess the constant need of funding?
1: It really depends upon the business. There are certain businesses that absolutely need funding from the start um, in order to achieve the vision and mission of the company. There are others that don't. Um, I prefer those that don't quite candidly. MarketSpan was completely self-funded and funded on revenues and um, uh, it eliminates a lot of distractions in terms of, um, Having to, to uh, continually update investors it, uh, makes things much simpler at the board level. Um, it allows you to focus purely on the mission of the company rather than a venture fund's need for a return within a specific time frame. Um, so if you can avoid taking outside money, I think that's the best way to, to um to fund the companies through revenues. Yeah, There are lots of companies though. So uh, MarketSpan was completely self-funded. Monetate and Amino you know, Payments are venture funded. Um, Dream Adventures is a uh, venture firm that you know I've sat on that other side of the table as well. Um, but it really depends. You have, to, you have to figure out where is your sweet spot mm-hmm. and what is the opportunity and how much money do you need to to exploit that opportunity
0: and david you've been again on both sides all, all sides of the table from what it seems like and i, I love i want to hear a little bit more about culture and now i'm going to ask you a very similar question as well mm-hmm. i i have a strong feeling that uh david that there's a, possibly a different culture that's within a vc-backed company versus a bootstrap company can you tell us maybe a possible differences between a company like MarketSpan, where you grew it from zero to whatever, and then companies like Monetate and Amino Payments, where they are they do have the vc back funding?
1: Yeah, I don't think there is a difference in culture. You're building a great company. Um, and I think in terms of building a great company, whether it's self-funded or venture-funded, you're always looking to what is the ultimate goal of the company And I have a personal bias that, regardless of source of funding, you should be pointing the company at going public. You should be pointing the company at the specific exit or a specific time for exit. Um, Those things are the likely scenarios. The exits along the way to going public are the more likely outcomes. But um, you need to focus, I think, on um, what is the opportunity that you are exploiting? What is the, the, the natural state for your company? Yeah. Um, and culturally, that means you want the best players you can have on the field at the specific time. And uh, you also have to recognize that the, the players for today are not necessarily the best players for the mission of the company tomorrow. And that way. But what you want to build is a culture where everybody, and it starts from the top down, where everybody is on a shared mission, shared work ethic, and um, not going to be stopped.
0: Yeah. Ellen, how about yourself? Do you want to add on to that, to what Davis said?
2: Um, I guess I would only add that, um, you know, I've seen companies change culture when venture capital comes in and not always to the best effect so that everyone, um, I'm trying to think how to describe it. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think you need to stay core to the culture that, um, you know, that, that, you know, there's certain DNA in every company. Mm. And so you need to, you need to, um, you know, that's the thing that really shouldn't change. And sometimes um, when funding comes in, um, I mean, there's a lot of really good scaling activities that can occur. But sometimes the actual culture and how people interact and operate can um, change. And that's that's not always for the good. So I think that's one of the things that a really uh, good founder or CEO needs to pay attention to.
0: Yeah. keep okay,
2: I, I guess another thing is um, less so than – you know, say 10 years ago, but it used to be 10 years ago when funding came in, the original CEO is replaced and the and new people would be brought in. That I, I'm seeing, David, I'm seeing that less. Are you seeing that less these um, days?
1: Again, I, I think it's a, Depends. A, a company by company basis. Mm-hmm. You have certain CEOs, that, you know, the founder is usually the CEO of the company when, it, mm-hmm. when it's starting. And there are certain founders who, can take the company from startup to Facebook, like Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. but I think that those are the anomalies. Yeah. Um, I don't think that the, the necessary factor, though, is venture coming in. Venture is usually investing in the existing team.
2: right?
1: so they're not looking to change CEOs, they're investing in the CEO.
2: right?
0: That actually brings me up to a really uh, a really good point, Alan. When you're uh, talking to these companies, uh, whether it within the angel round, uh, so to speak, um, do you see character traits, or do you see specific things that kind of? Um, I guess you're a little bit more um, understanding and aggressive to talk to those particular startups that have X, whatever that X is. Do you see like uh, commonalities and character traits between like successful startups versus those who may not be able to obtain funding?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, so um, you know, people always talk about um, you know team and then the market and then the product when we're looking to invest. And so, um, you know, the the you know the right team and particularly the CEO is one of the things that we really look at. And so we're looking at someone who really deeply understands their domain. We're looking at someone who's um, open to new information and knows how to use that information, who understands financials, who understands what their strengths and weaknesses are and can fill in the gaps with other people on the team. Um, so that's, you know, th- you know that, that's from a team perspective. Um, I mean, we've not invested in some companies because it was clear that the uh, the team was not adaptive or flexible or coachable. Um, hmm. And then, you know, in terms of market, you know, are they looking at a market that's, um, y- you know, unique, definable, uh, large enough um, to, you know, to you know, to support growth and, and scalability? And the product's actually, you know, the least of the things that we look at because the product is the thing that tends to change the most. Um, you know, it's it's always it it's always being adapted and changed and pivoted based on new information from the market. So as long as it, as long as the um, team really understands the the market and what their goals are, then they can always change the product, um, you know, features and functions to to match, you know, with, where the where the market's going.
0: Well, that is actually a perfect segue to a question that uh, that I would like to ask, which is again the market. And David, in the world of blockchain, it is constantly changing. Uh, There's always new information that is being uh, discussed. And so from you starting these businesses, what is your process like when it comes to further understanding and further defining the market?
1: Um, I've been blessed in that, um, with the exception of MarketSpan, which was my idea. That um, the other companies that I have co-founded have been companies where a domain expert has um, asked me to help them get it started, mm. and uh, I try and immerse myself in understanding what the business is if, when, when it, assuming that it it uh, grabs my interest. So I just study the market and see if I think that uh, that there is the opportunity there to to build something pretty spectacular. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But it's not, you're right. Most of the businesses, I think, technology plays as pure tech plays are a mistake. You end up with technologies in search of a problem. Um, I think you really have to focus on the problem and Mm -hmm. the technology has to serve that solution rather than the other way around.
0: That's great. That's a great answer. Um, I know that you posted, um, I guess a, a year or so ago now, uh, an article on your, on Twitter about, uh, pitches. And it's kind of just like the, I guess it kind of goes into details of like how to pitch and how to pitch well. And, and so I'd like to be able to hear from your perspective on the dream adventure side. Um, when you're listening to somebody talk to you about their business, what are some key things that, you're looking for when it comes to um, hearing a pitch and making sure that it's viable. And Ellen, I'm going to ask you the same exact question. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, um, first and foremost is domain expertise. And second is, well, it's not necessarily these are co-equal passion about the problem and the solution. Mm -hmm. So you've got to know what you're talking about. And you have to be able to answer any question um, very clearly and crisply and if there's a question you don't know the answer to you can't bullshit you have to say you know hadn't thought about that let me let me take a look at it Mm, Um, but any significant question about the the business you better have thought of it and Mm. have thought through how you're going to address those issues
2: Mm. Mm so my you know, my response would be almost word for word, what David just said, you know, it, it is, it's, it's passion, it's domain expertise, it's being able to answer questions. If you were to dive down a level, uh, beyond that, I would say you have to be able to describe the problem that you're solving and the market opportunity in a way that you allow the investor to dream alongside you. You need to have a story. Um, and I don't mean, a you know, um, Uh, I don't necessarily mean a story like, you know, here's Charlie. Charlie has this problem. I mean, a story where the, you know, the problem. I'm talking about
1: the sales side. Um, Obviously, lots of data on the tech side from the the start that you you have to be analyzing a, a lot of different performance data and stuff like that to make sure that the tech is sound. But I'm just talking on the market side of things right now. Yeah. Data is critical as the company grows. And then there's different levels of sophistication that you deal with that data as the company scales. So it's different. Data is data itself and different data is important at different stages of the company.
0: Yeah. That's good. I want to talk about growth quickly because let's face it as Anybody that is listening right now, they are struggling in some capacity when it comes to growing the business and when it comes to sales. And Ellen, you've been a part of a lot of great, I'm sure, transactions and worked with a lot of great teams and seen a lot of companies grow. And I'd like to hear from your perspective, what are some things that you've seen that Um, maybe some interesting marketing tactics or maybe some, um, you know, just foundational sales strategies. Have you seen any uh, companies and strategies that have worked really well for those startups that you've worked with and how can we apply those strategies uh, today to the people that are listening uh, on both the podcast and on Facebook?
2: Hmm. Um, So I'm not the sales um, expert in the group. Um, but you know I think just I, I think there's a common theme that David and I are saying which is every startup has stages and every startup has its you know its own set of variables that are important to them so there is not one sales strategy that works um, you know that works across um, all all startups um, I, I would Reiterate what David said about you know initial sales or founder sales. That's what we see, and so you need to over time build up enough infrastructure to um, you know be able to go past the the you know the founders you know the the found especially in the B2B world to go beyond the founders um, um, you know list list of you know uh, list of contacts. Um, but I, I think it's very individualized. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna turn this question over to David. He's got much more sales experience than I do. <laughs>
1: um i don't think i really have anything more more to add on that okay um you know there's lots of things on scaling and how you scale a sales team and there are hundreds of books written on that and that would be the subject for a um a a very bad mini series
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it can be stressful for sure. Um, the, the two of you have, have solidified yourself as um, pro- professionals, experts within the Philadelphia region, and I'd say pioneers in the world of entrepreneurship, the two of you. And it's an absolute honor to have you both on the show to share your expertise. But Philadelphia is a common theme that we all have. And uh, we, we call this place home. Uh, we call this place uh, where we work. And so I'd like to hear from your perspective. Do you guys believe that Philadelphia is a great place to grow uh, uh, grow your business? And uh, I, I'll take whoever whoever wants to go first with that one. Yeah, obviously I do.
1: Um, I've built all of my companies that I've been involved with. have all been Philly-based companies. Um, you do have to be nimble. So for example, the customers, most of the customers for Remino, are um, in the advertising world and the center of the advertising world is New York. So mm-hmm. we're in New York several times a week. Um, we have an office in New York, our, our sales office is in New York, um, but we've also successfully recruited engineers from New York, spectacular engineers from New York. And uh, my co-founder, Will uh, Will Luttrell. Um, Has a great recruiting uh, device, which is he takes people to see his house in Northern Liberties, who, Mm -hmm. who are from New York. And, you know, it's a very nice house for the price of a one bedroom apartment in New York.
2: Yeah. I, I call that the Philadelphia exchange rate. Yes. And, um, it You know, it, I, I used to actually do recruiting for startups, um, you know, uh, years ago, and I was able to bring Silicon Valley people here. Um, mm. We had we showed them the school systems and showed them houses. And, you know, that's that's uh, that's all it took um, in terms of um, Philadelphia as a region for startups. You know, I've just been so excited and delighted to see the growth in the Philadelphia ecosystem. Um, And I think some of those changes started, you know, when um, Philly startup leaders got started, when Philly Tech, you know, when uh, technically Philly got started. Um, There are so many organizations now, And and that's been wonderful. And and there's a group for everybody to to, you know, everyone's got different needs. There's a group for everyone to find support. One of the things that's always troubled me about the Philadelphia ecosystem was the lack of density. Um, And I'm actually you know, we're actually seeing, um, you know, we're seeing that improve um, as well, you know, with uh, with everything that's going on in in West Philadelphia, um, with the growth of you know Third Street, with Comcast in the middle, kind of bridging the gap, and and Lyft Labs, it, I think um, you know I think that's been I think that's been terrific. Ten years ago, there were no investors, for example, in Center City Philadelphia, and then you know Robinhood moved into Philadelphia, First Round moved into Philadelphia, Dream It was in Philadelphia. You know you started to see these you know so that entrepreneurs could. Uh, you know, so there, it, that allowed a lot more uh, cross-fertilization between the between the groups. Um, so I'm I'm uh, I'm um, I'm I'm very excited and uh, bullish. I think there's still some, you know, tax and and um, you know, business issues that need to be re- resolved in this region. But um, I, you know, I, I think the ecosystem's strong and getting stronger.
0: I think it's a really cool uh, idea to bring somebody from New York who probably lives in like a 200 square foot home and to be able to see probably the same exact pricing, if not uh, a little bit less and to be able to see an actual home. That is a really, really good idea. Uh, so appreciate that that small nugget right there. Mm-hmm. And a- Alan, as, a, as an academic yourself, mm-hmm. there has to be a tangible thing that we can learn from, whether it's a book or a presentation or maybe just a good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anything come to mind when uh, when I ask that? And how can, uh, and whatever that thing is, can you tell us what it is and, or things, um, and, and, and how we could apply that, whatever that is to our businesses today?
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, there are certainly... A tremendous number of good books out there and so off the top of my head you know um, Brad Brad Feld has a book called how to be um, as smart as your lawyer or your VC and for anyone who's raising money you need to read that he brilliantly goes through uh, it's a little long the book's a little long in the tooth now I think they, they need to keep updating it but they kind of go through clause by clause um, the the items in deal terms that VCs um, you know, that VCs put in, and they'll say things like, you know, if your VC is arguing about this, run, because that's not important, or um, this may sound really punitive, but that's, that's standard, so, you know, just, you know, that's the way it is, so I find that book to be really, um, you know, really excellent, you know, books on lean startup, I think everyone is reading, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think what some of my personal other favorites are, but I, I really like Brad. for someone who's about to go out and raise funding. I think reading Brad Feld's book is the. you still need to hire an excellent deal attorney, but you can save yourself a lot of money and mistakes by reading up and getting knowledgeable before you meet with that attorney. Mm.
0: David, how about yourself? Is there anything that that you've read in the past or are currently reading or watched that um, really helped you be able to mold who you are today?
1: Yeah, there are, are lots and lots of books, um, but I, I want to riff for a moment on the point that Ellen made because Brad's book, Both Venture Deals and How to Be as Smart your, your, uh, at, as the VC are, are really, I think, required reading. Um, but even then, the founder is at a huge disadvantage in negotiating the deal. Hmm. So this is what VCs do all day, every day. As a founder, you may do this once, twice, maybe, maybe three or four times during the course of a single company. Um, the what you hear all the time is, "Well, we're just going to use the standard documents and this plain vanilla, and there's nothing." You know, the, the VCs will say there's nothing unusual in the documents. Well, those documents were developed by the NVCA, the National Venture Capital Association. Mm-hmm. They weren't developed by the National Founders Association. And there are lots of ways that those documents protect the, the venture capitalists at the cost of the founders. And in many instances, that's just fine, uh, because that's the deal you're making when you're taking money. In other instances, I think it is profoundly unfair. And if you do not um, really understand the documents or work with somebody who really understands the documents and what they mean, there are serious repercussions that you had never never seen coming uh, down the line for you. And even the best deal lawyers, the best um, the best founder side of uh, uh, financing lawyers, I think, are still biased by the, quote, standard forms, mm-hmm. the NVCA forms. So there are lots of things that um, I could go into that I think are fundamentally unfair and how you structure the deal is really important. I'm sorry. I'm on a bit of a soapbox here. (laughs) No,
0: it's, it's, it's totally, uh, totally okay. I mean, these are the things that we need to know or at least be made aware of. And it's up to the people listening to be able to do their own due diligence themselves, to be able to apply that. Um, I I don't want to waste too much of your time because I know you are all very, very busy individuals. So I want to just wrap up the conversation, if that's okay. Um, by just asking one final question. And the question is if, You can give yourself advice or if you can, excuse me, if you can give somebody that is listening advice, that's currently growing their business, that is trying to scale, um, they may need funding, they may not need funding. What would that advice be that you'd give to that individual? And if it's okay, David, I'd like to put you on the spot first. Um, If you could just uh, answer that question. And then Ellen, I'm going to ask you the same exact thing.
1: The most important thing I think in the company is is the talent. So, make sure that every person you have is the best person for that role at that time in the company.
0: Mm. Ellen, how about yourself?
2: You know, I, I would say um, again, for the first you know for the first time entrepreneur, um, in addition to the talent that you have within the group, I think having advisors and mentors that you can trust who've been through this before, um, can be tremendously helpful and can help you navigate. You know some of these. Uh, you know n- you know these these new scenarios that, that you haven't been through before. But I also caution entrepreneurs to be very careful of who they select as mentors. Not all mentors are created equal and i also I, I see i see this happen all the time it's uh, i call it mentor confusion um mm-hmm. if you have too many mentors um, and they will all give you different advice because they will um <laughs> you still have to you know have your you stay true to your core and be able to listen to what mentors are telling you but then make your own decisions and don't have too many mentors because I'll see I, I will see some entrepreneurs kind of ping from one thing to the next based on which mentor they spoke to, you know, most recently. So I think I think the use of mentors judiciously is a really good thing to have to help you navigate those waters.
0: Very cool. Well, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for, for joining us, uh, all the people that are currently listening and watching us. Uh, a huge uh, shout out and thank you goes to to you all. Thank you again for watching and listening. I'd like to give the final 30 seconds or so uh, to each of you to share a little bit more about how people can contact you if need be uh, and how can, people can follow your journey on the businesses that you're creating uh, and the uh, the businesses that you're funding. And Ellen, if you can just uh, give us a start, share us a little bit more about where people can find you.
2: Okay. Well, I'm here at Temple uh, 24-7 just about. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, and I go to most of the events and, you know, I go to most of the entrepreneurial events in the region. So the best way to, 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 to find me is to go to some of those events. Um, and, um, but I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter and, um, you know, my email is eweber at I David,
0: And I can have a testimony on that one. I do see you at a lot of events. So she is true to her word for that. <laughs> David, how about yourself?
2: Well, I am
1: much less um, visible at at events these days. I'm heads down on Amino, and that's really taking um, all of of my time. Um, You can find me at Amino Payments on our website. Um, uh, And there are certain events, like the Philly Tech Tech barbecue that's going to be in September. Best way to, to handle that, since there are tons of people there, is that if you if you want to connect with me, um, say that you're going to be there and ahead of time, um, and we'll figure out how, how to get together. But uh, unfortunately, my time has gotten much more focused uh, since, since starting Amina.
0: Well, it's an absolute honor to have you. And thank you again, both of you, for your time. It it truly means a lot to help the startup ecosystem and community. Um, To those that are still watching, um, I'd like you guys to go out there and execute your vision. Have a great rest of your day.
2: Take care. Thanks, Jonathan.
0: Cool. We are done, guys. Uh, Thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. it will be live. It was already live now. I'll let you know once uh, everything is uh, on the um, uh, podcast format as well. Um, I didn't. I wasn't able to explain a little bit about what we do. So if I could just have thirty more seconds, uh, sure. just to educate you and tell you a little bit more about who I am. Um, you already know my name. My name is Jonathan. But I'm a co-founder of, of a company called Penji, and um, we've never received funding. We're bootstrapped from zero to now over a thousand brands that we worked with and we have over 50 employees. We're located right over the bridge in Camden, New Jersey. And uh, Penji, what we do is we do on-demand graphic design at a flat monthly rate. So businesses hire us to do graphic design. We act as like their Swiss army knife of all things design. So the people who are actually uh, doing the marketing can go back to their roles. Um, And then we take the design off of their plate. And we work with startups, agencies, and also um, internal marketing teams. Um, we've been doing it for I've been a serial Entrepreneur for about seven years now, and I've only had one other job uh, outside of uh, startups. So I've really had to learn um, by falling on my ass multiple times, um, but also uh, readings and teachings and words from people like yourself. So. Your words uh, go such a long way, and I couldn't be more thankful and appreciative of, of your time today, so thank you.